This week's episode is brought to you by the Talk Buster podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce of their time working for Blockbuster. Now, even if you've never worked for a Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find the stories both hilarious and relatable. One of my personal favorite stories was when he had a guest retelling his time of working at a porn shop the day before Christmas when they were just packed to the gills. So, listen to the Talk Buster podcast on all your favorite platforms today. and welcome to Geeks We Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Orc, and with me as always is... Your shield brother, Axel Wright. Man, it's been a while since we've done that. Yeah, and I don't know why, but I always feel the need to raise my hand and wave when I say that, even though this is an <laughs> audio thing and no one can see me do it. It just it's like helps me get into the, the zone to say it right. So... <laughs> But yeah, as if, if you've been listening to us, if you follow us, you notice that we've mostly been doing like our Geeks of Grimdark and our book club and our Echo Logs. Actually, I don't know if our Echo Logs are out yet, but we're recording them a lot. So who knows when that will come out. Point is, we haven't done like just straight up regular intro for a straight up regular episode. Not that this is one in a, in a while. Yeah, we've been busy, to say the least. Yeah, and, so uh... oh, go ahead. Part of the reason we're able to be so busy is we have people that, you know, like us so much, they give us money. We call them our patrons. And like we do at the top of every episode, we like to name and thank them because they gave us a dollar or sometimes several dollars. Anyways, they are Pam Galley, Marky, Chris Chippen, River Galley, Krug, Reed D, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brendan Agnew, John Reynolds, Kip Kenny, and Solomansky. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. We literally... Do not have a breakdown anymore because you're getting way more than an episode for 25 cents because we're putting out so much extra content. Either way, you're getting your dollars worth and then some. Did I hear a new one with the Solomensky? Yes. Cool. I don't have the notes in front of me right now, so I have no idea how that's spelled. I just was listening to you. And I was like, oh, surprise. So. Yeah, so um, as so, many of you know, we live here in America, and uh, we're still living in the plague times, so we thought... <laughs> It would be fun to talk about what we're doing to maintain those last shreds of sanity of these so, plague times. Yeah, so this goes back to one of our, like, format-wise, this is closer to, like, our tell stories about us kind of thing. We don't have a set, you know, structure for this, and we don't even have a set, like, time frame. We're just, we have an idea of, like, how long we want this to go, but we're just going to go until we feel comfortable with it, really. So, yes, quarantine. It's at this point, at point of recording, it's been... What five months since uh, since America acknowledged it anyway? Yeah, and about, and about seven uh, months since you know reality, the rest of the world did. And odds are it'll it'll still be going by the time this releases, even if we don't release this till far far into the future, because things just yeah no. Because our our country's bad at you know, handling it. <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> so, yeah. anyways. We're just going to, you know, talk about what we've been reading or doing or playing or... Or how we've been handling in general. Yeah. So I know that when I start us off, I'm going to start us off with actually something relatively serious that I haven't talked about, uh, but has been affecting me. So why don't we save that for a bit, and why don't you start with something? Okay. So trying to think... Remember Tiger King when this all started? I don't know if you watched you know, Tiger King. Or I not. didn't. I did not actually watch. I saw all of it show up on on the Facebook feeds and you know everyone like talking about it, but I managed to not watch that. <laughs> that was a special type of fun, not only because it was really interesting, but because so much of it could have happened in my hometown. Wasn't the idea from just from the memes? I got the impression that it's this this rich kind of hickish guy who like illegally owns tigers or maybe not illegally but not you know professionally and that at some point his wife fed him to a tiger i guess oh no, no that's part of it there's a bunch of it but basically just imagine if there was an exotic animal park in riggins run by the locals with their level of education and ability to handle large animals. Uh, no offense to you, but my brain went straight to you running said animal exhibit, which is a terrifying thought. But I feel like you'd be See, trying now, to train now, them to the so. <laughs> See, you're operating a level above my my people from hometown. You know, think, uh, 
Yeah, no. If you've seen this, you know what I'm talking about. And yeah, I've heard so my, said, favorite, my favorite thing <clears throat> to come out of it was someone just sharing a picture of him and saying that Tiger King is to Steve Irwin what Wario is to Mario. And that just made yes. me laugh conceptually. So it's it's true. But no, that was that was a lot of fun back when this whole nightmare started. And we're like, I wonder if this will go till Labor Day. That would suck if it went past Labor Day. <laughs> Boy, I remember Fourth of July is going to be fun this year. Yeah, I, I do remember when it started, when my work started doing a. So I have to actually be on site half the time. There's me and one other guy in my position, and one of us has to be on site to support our floor. So we alternate weeks. And that way, if so, and we also, you know, thermometer in, and if someone were to be sick, then they would stay home for, you know, the full, like, two weeks or whatever while the other person is in. Point is, when that started, our theory was they would go for, like, you know, five weeks, maybe ten weeks. And here we are, like, five months later. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was just thinking back, like, okay, what was I watching when this all started? Tiger King, because we were all watching Tiger King, because that was just the perfect blend of reality TV and true crime and just real self-affirmation of, like, I may have made some poor choices in my life, but <laughs> I didn't make the same level of poor choices these people have made. Well, I, I love the meme that come out of it, the, uh, what is it, I will never recover financially <laughs> from this. Yep. Or something like that. And it's like, oh, yep. I feel I feel that strongly. <laughs> no, this was this is good. Mimi and we all talked about it and it was fun and it was weird. And now Netflix is gonna try and, you know, make three more spin-offs. It's like, no, 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 no. This is a flash in the pan scenario. I don't think we really care where are they now. I don't understand where Netflix's headspace is at, honestly. Because like Netflix was king of streaming. Yes, now there's a bunch of other contenders to the throne right uh with hulu and amazon prime and now disney plus being like the big contenders i suppose but there's tons of them but i feel like every week now i hear about some decision netflix has made that just baffles me <laughs> the big one recently was that they uh they parted ways quote unquote with the original makers of avatar on the live action avatar pro project and i just it's putting it amicably yeah, yeah, I'm I'm trying to not kick more than's needed, but from what like, from what the creator said, it was creative differences, and it's like Netflix. Why are you having creative differences with the people who made this thing to begin with? I don't. Okay. From what <laughs> I understand, there's like 30 different creative teams all in their own separate little pocket universes doing their own thing, which is what leads to things like that, and then them greenlighting Del Toro's stop motion animation uh, Pinocchio story about the rise of fascism in Italy during the 1940s. I don't know, someone's high at Netflix. And it's is... like, okay, you, I mean, I'm. Well, thank you. Please, if you have the opportunity to give Del Toro money to do whatever he wants, it will be a beautiful masterpiece only four people watch. <laughs> but it's just like, you're green like this, piss off the Avatar people. What is going on over there? And it is, I'm trying to, what else really good has come out streaming wise that I've watched? Well, well, I was going to say the one thing that Netflix does consistently do that is making me happy is they keep putting out stand-up specials. And I am yeah. I love me some stand-up comedy. I feel like it's a great way to get a pulse on, I don't know, culture in general. That's why I even like foreign stand-up comedy. I, I don't get on all the jokes, but like I watched Trevor Noah's specials back before he moved to America, like when he was doing specials in South Africa. And even though I didn't know any of the politicians he was talking about, it was still hilarious and it gave me kind of a <laughs> view into what South Africa is like. So, I don't know. This has gone on so long. I'm trying to remember if Key House came out pre or post pandemic. I think post. I remember the trailers for that coming up, but I never watched well, it. It's it's pretty good. It's rough around the edges a little bit, but it's it's still pretty good. Yeah, the only thing the or actually the the big I shouldn't say the big thing. I know for Netflix recently they had uh, uh, Hannah Gatsby's newest special, Douglas. That was great, but that's again pretty new. I'm, if I'm thinking back to to March and whatnot, uh, that was let's see January, February, and March. I was still really into One Piece at that point. Not that I'm never not into One Piece. One Piece is amazing, but I was like actively watching it at the time. So, and that was on the Funimation uh, app. So. Oh, do you hear that big news that like a bunch of uh, animation studios are teaming up to launch a YouTube channel for yeah. anime? Yeah, I heard that. Oh, I saw, I shouldn't say I heard that. I saw one 
post about it on Facebook. I didn't. I didn't dig into it. I don't. I don't. I don't care about it. But it is interesting. It's like you know, from a business standpoint, that's that's interesting. I guess uh, it's just that most. Well, if I remember correctly, the studios were like the the dubbing studios, not like anime studios. So it's just kind of odd. Like, what the, are they even going to put out? I don't. I don't know. That's that's one of those things that comes from anime. Is such a weird topic in general. Yep. So. Mm. <laughs> Well, I'm going to stand way the hell over here and look at it going, I don't get you, but you make people happy, so you do you. Yeah, I recently, uh, well, not recently, I was in like a month ago, I had an argument with a friend of mine online about my one of my absolute favorite manga, Berserk, and it turned into this big, long thing I didn't mean it to turn into, and part of his argument was that, like, this is why it's terrible to talk about anime. I'm like, but you're assuming that I'm talking about this the way that you, you're saying these people talk about it, but I'm agreeing with you, so... I don't know what the problem <laughs> is. So anyway, uh, let's see. I'm just gonna start thinking of streaming services or streaming shows I've watched. Well, real, real quick, I'm gonna put this in the, the middle here. Um, the last this pandemic has been you know really hard for everyone, obviously. But one of the things that's been really hard for me, and I've I've kind of hinted at it in recordings, but now I feel comfortable at least like explaining myself, which is uh, in early February. I, uh, in a relationship I was in for six and a half years with the girl Scarlett, who I've mentioned the podcast before, uh, that ended. And I've been dealing with that while isolated in my apartment alone, no longer with anyone. I was living with someone for six and a half years, and now I'm completely alone in my apartment. And processing those emotions has been very difficult for me. <laughs> Again, like I said, I just wanted to get that out there because it's like I'm comfortable mentioning it now because I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm over it because I don't think I am. But, you know, I am seeing someone new at this point. Um, I mean, kind, kind of. We haven't defined anything yet, but we've been talking for like uh, a month and a half. We've gone on like five dates. So, you know, I'm I'm feeling like I'm having forward movement, you know, and that's it's really good for my mental health, I think. <laughs> Yeah, because this fucking this pandemic sucks enough when you have someone to you know keep yeah. you from talking to yourself. When you got to talk to the walls, I can only imagine. I don't know if this is like an offense thing or not, Ulrich, but part of me was like, man, you have a fucking family at least. You got the, the <laughs> wife and and your daughter, and he's and like, I'm literally alone in my goddamn apartment post the hardest breakup of my fucking life, and I'm just trying not to smash my head into some solid surface. So. So what's really been good for that is getting into Warhammer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We got you into Warhammer through this whole thing. That's been a lot of fun. Yeah, because I've, as I said in several recordings before, I've been into Warhammer lore for years, but being in this pandemic and I was desperately looking for anything to take my mind off the breakup, I started getting into actual Warhammer collection, collecting the miniatures, learning the game, assembling the miniatures, which is oddly like really enjoyable painting yep. them i'm still i mean i'm still on my first set i've got three of them fully painted based and varnished uh but it's a it, it's definitely a patient man's game like it's a long process getting these painted up to my personal standards so <laughs> i enjoy it that but... is why i have just a sea of unpainted guys i love the putting together and the, you know adding little details and doing stuff like that but the painting is like i don't really want to i'll get to it eventually and I'm part trying... of that's because i seek perfection i want them to be the best they possibly can be i'm not going to seek perfection except on a few models like my character models obviously i'm going to seek perfection but i'm doing regular orc boys right now and yes, I could have just made them battle-ready and put three colors on them, but that wasn't... No. I'm, like, going far enough to color their skin, their teeth, their eyes, like, their boots and belts, and their weapons, right? So that's that's quite a few colors and shades and stuff. And so it gets to the point where they look good to me, uh, and I think they're pretty good-looking. It's it's a little challenging, because Wretched um, is working on his Thousand Suns at, like, the same-ish time as me. And because his are just gold and blue, that's not to disparage the amount of work he's putting. He's putting a lot his of work. They look really good. They look great. Yeah, they look great. So it's just it's just kind of odd seeing them. It's like, man, how are you doing this so quickly? And I have to remind myself, it's because painting Thousand Suns is a completely different thing from painting orcs. It's, it's very different. Also different time in the hobby and things like that. 
Now, I'm really curious what's going to happen if the rumors are true and they're doing a line refresh and, re- and redoing the boy, the basic orc boys. I, so only have have... 20, I only have 20 basic orc boys, so I won't mind having a whole new crop of them. Yeah, so you're going to be a lot off and those people like, you know, got hordes of them. And it's like all of a sudden, like, great. They got a whole chunk of army that's like an inch taller than the rest. That'd be a little odd considering that knobs are... Because, like, boys are supposed to be the size of, like, a human... They're not supposed to be the, especially because they hunch over. Like if they stood up straight, that'd be one thing. But their necks are out at like a ninety degree angle from their their shoulders. So knobs are supposed to be the same size as, as space marines, and knobs are already like you know bigger than boys. And so anyway, point is, I don't know what they're gonna do. It's I'm curious. They've just been like scaling up. Whenever they do a line refresh, certain news, they scale it up a little bit more to a next bigger size. Except for the sisters of battle, which are still. I I, was, I got my special edition Sisters of Battle of the Dance putting together. Like, you know, going and putting Space Marines together, putting them together, it's a whole other process because they're so tiny and fiddly. Comparatively, yeah. Oh, I did uh, I did look up, I don't know if this needs to go in the recording at all, but I've got a, a model of St. Celestine that Wretched <laughs> got for me, and Ulrich warned me that his kept breaking. And so I Googled, like, all right, do other people have these problems? And the main problem people came up with or had is the connecting piece of the scrolls to the base. But a main way that people deal with that is by getting some kind of like terrain, like a gate, and connecting her feet to the base through that. So it's got an extra point of contact. So I don't know. Something I'm going to try. Point is, yeah. uh, Point is that this has been really helpful in keeping my mind off of uh, what was a crushing depression I was having for a while. Also, sidebar, my relationship ended actually amicably. There was no fight or anything like that. It was just we wanted different things from our future. There. Put that to the side. I'm officially done talking about the breakup for now. I just I had to mention it. So, The Invisible Man was really good. I didn't watch Sorry that. to just, you know, jump around, but I was just trying to think, like, what was the movie? What movies have I been able to watch since this? And it was uh, Invisible Man. Um... Palm Springs. I did not like Palm Springs. You didn't? I love I, it. I don't like Andy Sandberg. Like, he rubs me the wrong way. Um, you know, Ulrich, I do have this impression of you that whether something is good, bad, or anything like that, if it goes against your very specific sensibilities, then you're very you're very open about that. I'm not, I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing, just a way you, you operate. And so, like, with Andy Sandberg, for instance... I adore his style. I love Lonely Island, I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and I love Palm Springs. But I totally understand it not working for you, his particular, what he does. So yeah, I get that. Yeah, no, I watched it, because everyone's like, oh my god, it's so good. It's like, okay, let's let's give this a try. And I watched it, and the whole time I was like, this, is, this, this angers me. But I'm going to watch it, because I need to know how it ends. And the whole time, it's like, I just, I don't like Andy Sandberg. He annoys me. I want to punch him. Why is he being a dick? Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I, I love I love Andy Sandberg's humor. So that just comes down to preference, I suppose. So uh, I watched Underwater. Underwater was really, yes. really cool. Underwater is currently my favorite movie I've seen this year. Period. That has not changed. So, and the longer time Birds goes of, on, Birds the more I love it. Still, Birds of Prey is up there real high for me. Uh, I, the other I, uh, one that's really high up for me was The Gentleman, but I am a sucker for Guy Ritchie in oh general. Yeah, I need to watch The Gentleman. Yes, I, yes, you do. I miss movies. Like I, I really miss going to the movies. Yeah, me too. I need to actually. Uh, now that I don't want to go to the theater, even though they're kind of opening, but I haven't been able to cancel my Regal Unlimited. They, they put things on hold like that, but. So I need to remember to cancel that. Now that I have a smartphone, I can actually do it on my own without having to borrow someone else's smartphone. <laughs> so, Yeah, no, I went back and forth. Like when AMC said they were going to reopen with 15-cent tickets, I'm like, that, that's a good price. But then I thought, but what's in the theater that I really want to see? Tenant? Uh, I'm, I'm not. I am not ride or die for Christopher Nolan. I'm kind of meh on him as a whole. Yeah, same. Well, actually, I... I think all in all, I'm more negative on them. Um, I mean, I love The Dark Knight because The Dark Knight is a very is big an, exception. Yeah, but and I, Prestige really makes up for a lot of flaws of everything like that. Yeah, I'm the Prestige. So oh, I love The Prestige. That's like the only movie I'm really passionate about for his filmography. The rest is kind of like, yeah, the guy's a hell of a cinematographer, but he's a shit storyteller. I think something about Christopher Nolan's particular style just doesn't work for me. I, I can respect it. Like, 
it's like a very very pretty math equation like euler's <laughs> yeah. equation or something like yeah. oh that's that's very impressive but that's really all you get from me so no i can agree with that, that that's a very good way of putting it but streaming's had some good stuff like uh caught up on primal that was i still know i watched all that that is i watched the first episode because Ulrich was like, you got to watch Primal, and I don't get me wrong, I love Getty Tartakovsky. Samurai Jack is still one of my favorite things ever made, period. And I watched Primal, the first episode, and I thought, this is very good, and I'm glad Getty Tartakovsky has the money to do something like this. Because apparently that's the only reason he made the Hotel Transylvania movies, was so he could make money so he can do these kind of things. He's got the Del Toro route. He does a project to fund a passion project. Exactly. My only problem with Primal was actually that it was a little too much for me. Like, Oh, it's a very intense one, and it only gets more so, but... Yeah, and I just wasn't in an emotional space to watch more of that. On the other hand, at the same the same week, I watched Close Enough, which finally came yeah. out. Yeah! I'm a huge fan of J.G. Quintal in general. I love regular shows, so Close Enough hit that sweet spot. I gotta thank you for letting me know, because I never would have watched that otherwise. I didn't even know it was a thing. But Slagathor and I watched that and loved it. It's like, this this is perfect. This this was made for me. <laughs> I've been waiting for Close Enough for months. Basically, ever it, it was first announced at like last year's Comic-Con or something like that. And it was originally going to be on uh, like TBS or something, but their entire animated block got basically chopped, so HBO picked it up instead. But yeah, Close Enough, very simply put, if you like regular show, you'll like Close Enough. It's the same humor, but just they move from the 20s to your early 30s. So <laughs> I just say if, you know, you're a parent at all, you're going to love it because there's so many great <laughs> jokes. It's like I'm like, yep, this is written by somebody with kids, specifically this age range of kids, you know, toddlers to young to very young. Well, you know, uh, J.G. Quintal, the, the main character is made to look like him. It's voiced by him. He's the writer of the show. I wouldn't be surprised if... Uh, there's a lot of similarities to his home life there, which was already the same in regular show where it's like, yes, there's surreal insanity of, but the basic problems that the insanity springs from, I felt were probably steeped in something, you know, very recognizable to J.J. Quintle's actual life. So it's helped me realize something about my personal tastes because for a long time, I didn't think I really liked surreal. I'm not, I said I was not a big into surrealist stuff, but I realized I like my surreal humor and my surreal stuff when it has a point or it's being used to express an abstract idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's what all this humor is about is kind of expressing more abstract ideas. Like when uh, the mom, she goes and hides out in an open home and it's a sitcom. And it's like that sense of getting away to a better world. That the sitcom represents and that escapism. If you're, if you're out there listening to this and you never watched regular show. So my, my, uh, recommendation falls flat let me put put it this way my favorite episode of close enough involves the characters who are all about 32 going to a a nightclub uh called logan's and and the beginning of it it seems like very normal as in they're all partying and then they and then they're all really tired it's only nine o'clock okay easy to understand problem and then it jumps into a surreal problem when another guy who's in his probably his mid-30s wearing a red hot chili pepper t-shirt and has a chain wallet, which I didn't know was no longer in fashion. I wear a chain wallet. Well, that's, that's been because... out for a while. Well, I grew up in, in a not great neighborhood. But anyway, that's besides the point. Point is that they notice him and the club goers collectively uh, murder him, essentially, because he's a too old. And anyone over 30 who's found out in the club must die. <laughs> and so then now they have to escape the club while not letting anyone realize that they're older than 30. <laughs> so, like, yep. a regular problem that's understandable and relatable turns into a crazy sci-fi horror-y kind of problem. And it's all done way over the top and hilariously. So, Yeah, and I loved it because, again, I had no idea that that was the premise. I just thought this was a show, you know, about being in your 30s with a kid and the problems that come. And then it just has this weird surreal moment. There's a pause and like, okay, I'm here for this. I like this. I can follow. Well, you know, it actually is very similar in tone uh, and, and even execution to another show that you've recommended that I watched the first season of, which was uh, Man Seeking Woman, which, again, we've talked about it before, or we've talked about it before, but the premise of that show is it's a live-action show, whereas Close Enough is a, a cartoon. But it's a live-action show where everything is literal, and that sounds that, – that's really hard to explain, but 
the best way to explain it is that my favorite joke is in like episode two or something where this main character is just broke up or just had a breakup with his longtime girlfriend of like four years. And here I'm sitting here relating anyway. And he is, (laughs) he is literally haunted by her stuff. Like her stuff that's in his house gets possessed. Like think about when you're saying to someone who's just been in a long-term breakup, like, man, you're, you're haunted by her memory or her stuff is haunting you. You would say that in like a regular situation with your friends and then in Man Seeking Woman, that that becomes literal. He is literally haunted by her stuff. So, yep, this whole exorcist parody and everything. Or uh, another example, um, have you ever, anyone out there, you ever gone to a wedding and said, man, this is hell? Well, in the show, that happens and is literal. There's a destination wedding in hell, the location. <laughs> no, my favorite joke is when he has to, I don't know, it's in the first season, I'm pretty sure, where he has to take his buddy to the bro shelter. Yeah, bro shelter. Mm-hmm. And they've got the Xbox and the light beer all set up for him. And it's I loved it so much. It was such a good joke. And again, I'm not a huge fan of Eric Andre. He's a bit much a lot of the time. I can't stand his show, but he as a person, like watching his Hot Ones interview was hilarious. But I just don't yeah. like the comedy of his show. So Yeah, I'm right there. But his energy and his performance worked perfectly for your over-the-top party bro friend that just is a bit much at times. One more giveaway, because giving away a joke is just one more thing about Man Seeking Woman. At one point, they go on this drunken bender through the night. The main (laughs) character actually hooks up with this girl, and he gets so drunk, he loses his dick. Like, as opposed to so drunk he can't get it up, he is so drunk he literally can't find it. It's no longer attached to his body. He left it at the bar. Yep. So that's the kind of humor that Man City Woman is is operating it's, on. Yeah, and it's the kind of it's a surrealist humor that I can really get behind. And it's 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 all it's really good. It's all on Hulu. There's only three seasons. Each season covers a different stage of life. It's really, really good. My favorite streaming thing that I've gotten really super heavy into about about a month ago, I think I've, I I literally was sitting and I was painting. I was like, I want to put on something in the background. And I was perusing Amazon Prime. Or was it Hulu? It was Hulu, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely Hulu. And I saw something that someone literally recommended to us. In, in uh, Do you remember who it was? It was um, – it's the, the Red Shirt Diaries girl. I can't remember everyone's names. I'm sorry. The Red Shirt Diaries? Yeah, the, the – wasn't that who who recommended it to us? Anyway, the show was Letterkenny. <laughs> I saw Letterkenny <laughs> on this on this list, and I was like, "Huh." I remember someone recommending to that to us in one of our uh, recordings. How did you get from Hoppiest Girl to Red Shirt Diaries to Letterkenny? Well, okay, so Hoppiest Girl. I don't. I don't remember. Sorry, I don't remember. <laughs> Point <laughs> I'm is, trying to figure the connection. Point is, I can't remember who exactly recommended this to us. Maybe it wasn't Hobbyist Girl. Maybe I'm mixing it. Was it was Hobbyist Girl. She suggested it to us. I'm trying to figure out where the red shirt... Oh, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm caught up now. I was thinking Red Shoe Diaries. It's like, the hell? Did... That's Chris's show, not ours. You know, Red Shirt Diaries is the Star Trek okay, thing. Red with... Shirt Diaries was Ashley Robinson. Ashley Robinson. Okay. Sorry, not Hobbyist Girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any... Anyway, point is, I saw... Letter Kenny, and I was my brain flicked like, hmm, someone recommended that to us. And so I put it on the background, and each season is only six 22 minute episodes, so it's not very long. And there's eight seasons, though, so there's a lot. But so the whole first season went by, and I'm painting and kind of half watching it, and I'm thinking, it's all right. And then season two started, and the first three minutes of season two. Like started going, and I about a, two and a half minutes in, I realized what was happening, and I literally I can't describe it to you. Just Google Letterkenny cold open. That's the the best way. The point is something was happening involving the alphabet, and I didn't realize what was happening until he was on like the W's, and I looked up <laughs> and went whoa 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 what? And so then I I rewound it and watched the whole thing, paying attention to it. And from there, I was hook, line, and sinker. I was sold, and I started giving it way more attention. I watched all eight seasons, and Letterkenny is the most clever thing I think I've ever seen. Show, movie, whatever. Like I don't know about 
like that word, that very specific word, clever. The amount of wordplay on display in the and it's just a show about a, a small town of five thousand people in in Canada. Like it's this small kind of hick town, and the people who live there. It, it, it spawned out of this one guy, uh, Jared Kiso's like YouTube show called Letterkenny Problems, where he would just talk about the kind of problems you have living in a small town like that. And then it became this full show originally on Crave, now on Hulu, and that just the writing. I, I don't know what the writers have to be on to be the level. I don't know. I can't explain it to you. Like I said, just Google Letter Kenny Cold Open, uh, season two or three, one of them, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So. Okay, now I know how you got there from where you were. Ashley is from Canada. The show is about Canada. Okay, that makes more sense. I was trying for how the hell you got from point A to point B, but with the information of Canada, I see the common connection. Yes, I don't even know where my brain's going half the time. So, yeah, I watched anyway, Son of uh, Zorn again. Son of Z- I watched that. I love Son of Zorn. Through. It was very good. I do wish there was more of it. That I, I, I dig. Bit. I will say, I have a really hard time with cringe humor, and most of the stuff going on with the son in that show is cringe humor. So that was a little hard for me. But... Yeah, but it's balanced by the kind of He-Man stuff, and it, it's it's really. I really wish. Why? Why do I live in the universe where I didn't get more of that? I live in this crappy universe with all our plagues and death. So one thing I've been doing, and let me clarify, as I think it would be very easy to judge me based on what I'm about to say. Uh, I have gone on a few trips. Um, I know we're generally not kind of supposed to do that, but it's not like I went to, to like big cities and got around with a bunch of people. Like I'm being very safe quarantined at home, and then if I go on trips, it's to visit my one friend in Lewiston, and then I just go and chill, like, in his home, and we just play games and drink and stuff. So it's not like a... It's not like a trip trip. It'd be like one thing if I was, like, going to Seattle or something, but it's not the it's not the case. But, point is, doing that has been good for the old mental health. One of the times I went, we went to his family's cabin, and we went on this, like, trail, and... That was wretched, by the way, is the guy, the, the person. So he's been on the show so other times. I don't know why I'll just name check him. So, but yeah, so I'm hanging out with, hanging with her. So I'm actually going uh, tomorrow to hang out with him for a few days again. So, I'm trying to think. That pretty much covers all like the big streaming shows I've gone back through and watched. I'm caught up on a couple things, but nothing really sticks out. Sidebar. Uh, I was supposed to go visit Ulrich actually and see him in person for the first time in something like five years, but. Due to a number of things, including my finances taking a hard hit, uh, that fell through. The only reason I can do this trip to, with Retro right now is because I'm not doing it alone. Is because uh, Corb, Woonvog, Marky, whatever you want to call him, he's coming with me. So that's he why has I many can... names. Yeah, he has many names. The cart, our cartoon friend, is like to refer to him. <laughs> so uh, Woonvog is what he usually goes by in the show, though. So. Anyway, point is that that's the only reason I can even make this trip. And I was a little sad that I got to miss it because it was for Ulrich's birthday that happened somewhat. Well, it was supposed to be his birthday weekend, and I had to miss out on that, and I'm sorry. Yeah, you was a lot of fun. At least you had fun. I'm trying to think. Let's see. I've been reading a lot. Like I so said, we've been doing the book club. I don't know about you, but I've also been, you know, reading on the side as well as what we're reading for the book club. I was reading Shogun by James Clavel. I finally finished that. Did I tell you about that? No, I know you talked like, you know, when we first started the book club, you had trouble dividing the two. And then as it went on, it became a more 50-50 split. So Shogun is, this book came out, I want to say in the late 70s or something like that. It's a fictionalized retelling of the first Danish sailor to land in Japan in the very, very early 17th century. When I say very early, I mean like the year 1600, like something like that, like 1604 or something. And it, that's all it is. It's this like... 1300 page book with this fictional retelling it's a it's like a game of thronesy backstabbing and political machinations but based in real world japan and with somewhat real people which is kind of weird because i actually know something about japanese history not a whole lot but enough that i knew what specific figures the characters were so like the character toranaga in who is like the main political guy is actually uh, the real-world Tokugawa, who was one of the three great unifiers. So it was just weird to, to, like, 
why change the names? I don't, I don't know. It was just such an odd thing to me. But the, the book's pretty good. It ends really weirdly, though, because it doesn't end with, like, anyone winning. It ends with a war starting. And then it has this weird, like, two paragraphs at the end, like, oh, and then this one guy died. And then... <laughs> And I was like, okay, there's probably there's more books, right? And then I found out that there are more books, but they have nothing to do with that story. They're like, the next one takes place in China in a completely different century. And so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so the author, it sounds like, you know, he got bored and wandered off to do other things. Uh, it could be that, or it could be that he was, you know, 1,300 pages in and decided to just stop right there. So Yeah, the reverse George R.R. R. Martin. I guess. I don't know. It's a good book. I get the impression that a lot of Western interpretation of Japanese like of that era might come from this book because I guess it has a lot of accolades and I don't know but it is 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 pretty good that anyway I finished that I started reading I've owned Neil Gaiman's Norse myths for years and I actually read it so I started reading that recently (laughs) I picked that up and read about half of it and then when I realized he was just retelling the stories without any real Gaiman-ish flourishes i'm like oh that makes me sad i'll read this again someday Uh, i like for me it's just a matter of reacquainting myself with the myths so that i can tell them if the uh the opportunity arises and i like seeing different voices do it i will say there have been a couple things where i was like game and you didn't need to spell that out like the kevin crossley holland version of the myths which is my my gold standard essentially that for instance when it talks about the the realms and the world it talks about them in very vague terms. But Gaiman's version specifically calls out Midgard as being flat. And I was like, you didn't need to say that. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I don't know. I just remember picking it up, hoping that it would be really kind of weird and out there. And now I, I want him to write another book. It's been a while since he's written anything that wasn't a short story. Well, he's been doing a lot of things. Like, I remember he was actually very heavily involved in the Good Omens adaptation, apparently. I mean, he voiced God. And that was really good. Yeah, that was really good. No, no, no. No, No. he didn't voice God. Sorry, he he voiced God in something else. He voiced God in Lucifer. That's what I meant. Yeah. No, he's kind of become, like, people have all of a sudden stumbled upon, like, hey, this Neil Gaiman guy's got a passionate fan base and all sorts of crazy stories we should adapt. And some turn out real good. And some are kind of like the latter seasons of American Gods or... Yeah, which is really sad because I thought that Good Omens was really well adapted. Uh, the second it ended, I heard people were talking about season two, and I was like, "No, don't do that. There's there's not a second book. Don't don't do a season two. So yeah, no, I don't think he he would allow that, nor the estate of Terry Pratchett would. Yeah, for the record, if you haven't read Good Omens by Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett, do it. The, the show's good, but the book is better. <laughs> so yep. That's a good case. I'm trying to think. With American Gods, I I never actually watched the rest of it after we basically fell away from doing our our kind of logs about it. But I did read about everything that goes on season two. That show, I don't know the details. I just know all the behind the scenes stuff, and uh, it's it's kind of something weirds going on. It's too bad because season one was very promising. It had problems. We we talked about it at length, but it, it was still very promising. I like a lot of the cast. I just casting is really solid. And then yeah. season two, they got a new show director and it went even further off the rails. And then between season two and season three, they fired every non-white person. Oh gosh. Oh, you didn't hear about that one. I did not hear about that. They, they fired like every, all the non-white gods got booted off the show. Oh, oh. And, part of the appeal of American Gods is that it's so multicultural and embracing the idea that America is built up from different immigrants' cultures. Yeah, no, when they fired Orlando Jones for being, quote-unquote, too radical a portrayal of Mr. Nancy. It's, it's Nancy! It's a Nancy! It's the African spider god of trickery and stories play... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just very angry. Yeah, no, I, I kind of coughed my eyebrow up, like, okay, that that's not good. And then they, like, basically fired the rest of the non-white cast, and it's like, oh, yeah, something in kosher is not is going on there, and I'm, I'm glad I can just kind of drop out and go, well, they tried. Now, oddly enough, Lucifer, I feel like, is in a weird kind of space because I've watched all of what's currently out of Lucifer and I've read only a little bit of the the original character in his comics, right? And I get yep. the impression that Gaiman, who is, I don't know how involved he is with the Lucifer show, but again, considering he voiced God in that show, not in I think Good Omens, like but in God's producer role. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like that Lucifer is fascinating, but also a completely different creation, really. Although it was funny, because when I first watched season one of Lucifer, I didn't know 
about the Neil Gaiman character. And I watched the first episode. I went, huh, that really felt like a Neil Gaiman character. Then I Googled it. Like, oh, it's because it's a Neil Gaiman character. The funny thing is, like, from all accounts, the book and the, the comic book and the show share no similarities. But the way it plays out and it's written, it feels very much like, no, this is definitely a book that Neil Gaiman would write. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, even though Lucifer got too procedural for my taste, I'm far more interested in the, uh, the, you know, the Lucifer stuff and not the petty crimes stuff. But just the way the character Holt contorts himself, comports himself. I don't know the word I'm trying to use here. I'm not smart. <laughs> I just, it felt gaming-y. And that was kind of cool because it's like, I can't believe I recognized the gaming character just from how he was written. That you know. Well, just the idea of the devil started solving crimes because he was bored is a very much something Neil Gaiman would do, and that would spark an idea for a story. It's like, well, yeah, he's bored. Okay, that may, he's going to solve crimes. Why? Because he's got nothing else to do. And he hasn't so, done this before. So reverting back to something real quick, in addition to Letterkenny, I also watched Kim's Convenience, and I came to the conclusion that I have been undervaluing Canada's comedy chops. <laughs> oh, yeah. Canada's got some real great stuff coming out. Netflix buys it up. Slaps Netflix original on it, and then all its Americans go, wow, Netflix is really knocking it out of the park. And Canadians are like, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> uh, I, I will like, say. Moms is also a Canadian one, which took me forever to realize because they didn't have any of the Canadian slip-ups like a boot. I haven't watched Working Moms, but that, you recommend that? That's good? That's, that's really good, if a bit, uh, as my mother would put it, blue. Hmm. And again, I've been watching Letterkenny, so although Letterkenny is weird because it's like it's extremely progressive, but it's progressive about a town of Hicks. So I don't know. I, I, I love Letterkenny. It makes me want to go out like snow fishing with friends or something. So <laughs> I always have wanted to go ice fishing. I don't know if it's as much fun as I as it is in my mind, but it I probably was... isn't. But well, it depends on your company, I'd imagine. I mean, the the appeal to me is not the actual sitting in a shack and you know fishing in a hole, but the you know you're just sitting around with your friends and you're bsing and drinking and maybe you catch a fish. Yeah, I think that's the appeal. I don't think anyone actually goes out there to fish. It's more an excuse to sit in a small you know shed and drink beer with friends. Also, K. Trevor Wilson is hilarious. He's a stand-up comic who is a main character in Letterkenny, and he's just great in general. <laughs> oh, I remember as we, you know, recently I've started uh, catching up on Preacher. I don't know if you ever started watching that or not. No, I didn't. Oh, that's, that's a fucking Garth Ennis weird-ass show that I, I love, but man, oh man. Have you watched, sorry, I don't mean to derail you, but on a similar vein, have you watched Holy Nun yet? Or Nun Warrior or whatever it is. Warrior Nun? Is that Warrior. any good? Like, I, I have saw no the idea. trailer. All, See, I, know I, like, all I know is I saw it and I was like, that looks like Sisters of Battle. It also looks like I'm going to like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Two things I really like. I want to give that a shot. I just haven't got around to watching it yet. And I've heard yeah. that it's it's like Buffy, but with nuns. So. And that could tempt me back, but it's something I looked at it's like... Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure that's quite for me, but I've heard good reviews and whatnot. The one I was watching recently, Preacher. And I'd right? watch, uh, Preacher was really good, but uh, on Netflix I watched The Last Kingdom because everyone's like, "Oh, you'd love Last Kingdom. It, it's really good." And I I am very mixed feelings about that show. Did your Did your history brain go? Because I I watched I watched like the first six episodes of The Last Kingdom while I was hanging out with Wretched last time, and there are things about it I like. There are also things about it I don't like, but prime. First among those things about it I don't like is the main character, which makes oh, yeah. it really hard for me to want to follow the show. <laughs> yeah, no, he he he's a big negative in that he's just a dumb fuck that just keeps screwing shit up and going, why is this happening to me? Which is not a character trait I can endorse. But that's a big thing. And I went off on an angry Twitter rant the last time I watched it. I haven't watched it since then. But what bugged me is, and a lot of shows do this, a shield wall is not this huge technological advancement that people can't think of. <laughs> it is one of the most basic, primitive military tactics that has existed since antiquity. Yeah, remember that the Greeks were doing it. And if the Greeks were doing it, then six, you know, then like twelfth century England would do it as well. But there's a whole episode where he has to teach them how to form a proper shield wall, and they're like, "Oh my God, why did we never think of this?" Yeah, and I'm just like, what the hell is this? Why is this here? 
You know what's funny though? Like people tell me things like that all the time with shows. Like Vikings is the one I always hear. It's like, oh, do you love Vikings? I watched the entire first season of Vikings, and mostly it made me angry. Now there are things about it again that are great. Like Donald Logue is is not in nearly enough stuff. Honestly, I want to see Donald Logue do more. But like you know what? You know what? Did you watch Vikings? Yeah, I watched Vikings for a while till it went on too long and I lost interest. The point that really killed it for me, and this is, I totally admit, this has nothing to do with the plot, the narrative, the structure, anything. This is literally just me getting up my own ass about historical accuracy, essentially. And that's the Temple of Uppsala. Literally everything about the Temple of Uppsala is wrong, <laughs> down to how the building is structured, to how the sacrifice is conducted, to how the festival is con conveyed. It just... And I'm not a historian, right? Like, I am just an enthusiast. And I don't claim that even my knowledge about Uppsala is, like, really great. But what little I know about it, they they didn't get right. And I just... Sorry. It was, just, it was like the last thing for me. It's like, no, I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah, no. I liked Vikings, and it was really entertaining. And then it just kind of really got soap opery and drawn out. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to watch this anymore. And then I stopped watching it. Yeah, so so my thing is, uh, the only Viking show that I've gotten into that I really like and still really like is Vinland Saga, which I will recommend to people every day, because unfortunately Vinland Saga came out on Amazon Prime, which is where anime goes to die, <laughs> So, but it's it deserves so much better than that, even if you're not into Vikings, or, it's, like, the animation is so good, and it's not, like, crazy over-the-top anime, it's largely, like, just people because it's a historical manga and yes there is one guy Thorkel the tall who can basically throw trees at people but he's the exception to the rule like Man, most people are just like that's cool yeah it was actually what makes him really cool because if everyone else in the story are just regular people then he shows up and it's like oh this guy means something when he can throw around a tree so <laughs> yeah amazon primes had a couple really good shows in this quarantine uh Uploaded was a great satire, which I've suggested before, and also you know, oddly enough, Upload would have been nearly a perfect show if they just ditched the whole murder mystery thing. Like just focusing on the romantic subplot and the skewering of like games and internet culture, and you would have been just fine. The murder subplot actually is very weak. So, but otherwise, I yeah. Love it. But I feel they needed a mystery element, and I'm okay with that because otherwise, it falls into my hated trope of will they, won't they. I guess it never felt like it will, they won't they? It felt more like a, though they will. It's about getting there. So Yeah. So no, that's really good. And I don't know if The Boys, I feel like The Boys was pre-quarantine. I don't, the, uh, season one, I think, was pre-quarantine. And all I know about The Boys is that I'm already tired of it. I watched all of season one of The Boys, and it was fine. And, You're tired uh, of The Boys? I love it. That was. Again, similar thing. I love Carl Urban. Uh, I, I really wish that Dread got more, more anything. It's one of my favorite movies ever, but I found the boys to be, what's the word, missing the mark. Like, the boys felt like it was 10 years too late. Like, if it came out 10 years ago, I might have been more interested in it, but it just, I don't know. I feel like I've seen better superhero deconstruction. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's another, uh, oh, no. I forgot the creator's name all of a sudden. Anyways, he also did Preachers. There's a lot of overlap. Also, the guy did a lot of uh, Punisher, too. So he's got a very distinct style in his comics. Oh, I, will, I, I will say the one exception to everything I just said about the boys is Homelander, who I think is a really great version of exactly what they're, he's trying to be, like from a, a narrative standpoint. So Yeah. No, I enjoy it. And here's the kind of thing, like the problem I agree with you is, is it was it originally came out like 2002 2003 so it's very much that's the story they're adapting and we're like we're in a similar but very different place from where oh, we no, were. I, I understand that that's why it feels that way but just because there's a justification doesn't make make it still not be that way you know and again i'm i'm you know, if you like the boys, I think it's because I got a couple friends, too, who are really into it. And I was like, it's all right. And I was just tired of hearing about it. So that'll do it. No, I just liked it because it's like I love the idea of corporatization of superheroes. And I love the idea that demigods would not give a shit. It probably doesn't help that I got really into My Hero Academia, which is 
essentially corporatization of superheroes, but in the most optimistic way possible. I mean, not corporatization, that's the wrong word. But I mean, the entire premise of My Hero Academia, which I tried to recommend to you before, is that basically if Marvel's Civil War happened and Iron Man's side won, and it was the best possible version of that, as in there are schools to becoming a superhero, you get a license, it's an occupation, it's got you know, benefits and and agencies and i mean the entire premise of the show is this kid going to school to become a superhero i mean there's the whole twist to it that he's basically being mentored by the greatest superhero in the world but anyway so because that is so optimistic and so like superheroes are good and here is how you can have a society built around them and not be a nightmare to watch to see the the boys come after that and feel like a very it feels like one of those old internet videos that just proceeds to poke, you know, holes in why a fantasy is actual shit. And don't get me wrong, I love my share of cracked after hours that does that, but I don't know. Again, it just it felt it's too pessimistic for you. And I'm not against some good old pessimism. I mean, one of my favorite movies ever is Nightcrawler, and that is definitely a cynical pessimistic movie. <laughs> but it's just something about like I've already seen superhero reconstruction, and I got all the way to the point where I've come full circle to uh, wanted to see the optimistic view of superheroes, so then it just felt regressive to me. And again, that's because the original comic came out at a time where it would have been perfect. It's just it's, it's the adaptation came out ten, you know, twenty years later. So, no, it's funny. Your whole summarization of that anime has made me want Marvel to do a series for the Initiative, which was exactly that, which was you know post Civil War, Iron Man set up uh, schools to train the next generation of superheroes. And it's a really good run, and we got some really cool superheroes out of it. And now I just kind of want to see that. Yeah, I don't know. I do know that uh, the next death battle actually involves a character from My Hero Academia uh, fighting Zuko from... So Zuko from Avatar Last Airbender fighting Todoroki from My Hero Academia. And even though I'm super, super in Zuko's corner, doing a, a, a search online indicates that I am in the minority voice there. And most people think that Zuko is going to lose that, and I... I'm, I'm, I'll be sad, but I understand. When I don't, anytime you go up against anything, goes up against anime, they typically lose because anime Not is true. bonkers. Every, every, almost every single time cartoon has gone against anime, cartoon has won, especially huh. with the avatar, especially with the avatar characters. While I don't agree with one of them, <laughs> because I think Gara versus Toph really should have gone to Gara. If we're just talking about what Death Battle does, Toph beat Gara, Ang beat uh, Edward Elric. So. There was what was the third? I swear there was a oh, third. That's outcome. right. Yeah, no, it's gonna be Zuko versus what's his bucket. Optimus Prime beat Gundam. So like it happens over and over again. Cartoon actually beats anime usually. Hmm. Well, then maybe I care more about this one because I don't know. Well, we watched Avatar. That's what I, you know. Showed my daughter Avatar, and she really liked that. That was really and a little bit of Samurai Jack. She was hit or miss on Samurai Jack, but that all got started because she loved Primal. Yeah, but Samurai, she loved Primal. You showed oh, your daughter was, Primal. Oh, yeah, she was all into that. That was just yelling at the screen alongside the dinosaurs. I feel like Samurai Jack needs a, uh, you need to, like, an age range of, like, 8 to 11, personally. But Yeah, no, that one is definitely going to come back to. But I was just kind of curious because, you like, Primal, there's no dialogue. It's all visual storytelling, and she just sucked that up. So I'm like, okay. Let's try Samurai Jack and see if that works as well. And no, it didn't really hit the same nerve. I don't know if it was the lack of blood or what there was, but she didn't really, that didn't sink as much. We'll, we'll try again another year or so. Uh, Avatar, though, is a good, a good bet. I recently watched Korra all the way through for the first time, and I think it's great. I think. Okay, good, because I was wanting to do content about that, but I didn't want you to have to watch all of Korra if you didn't want to. So here's the thing about, all right, so uh, we had our... Who was it we had on whose uh, pillar of geekdom was Avatar? Brendan Agnew came on and talked with us about his love of uh, Avatar. In in that in that episode, I made a comment that Avatar was something I respected more than I actually liked. And I still think that's true, but I've definitely, my esteem of it has gone up upon revisitation. So, which is not, it's no surprise to me, but I'm more into it as like a, its own thing now. And so, you know, I rewatched Avatar all the way through, and all three seasons of Avatar are great. And I watched Korra, and season one of Korra 
is good. It's it's probably a little bit better than season one of Avatar, but not as good as season two or three. Season two of Korra is bad. It yep, just that's is. Every, <laughs> and, you're not alone in that. Pretty much everyone agrees that two is bad. And part of the problem there is that they actually put off a different animation studio half the time. And yep. you can tell. And I, yep. wa- and I I read a review that pointed this out. And now I'm super attentive to this. Watch their eyes. You can tell yeah. that it's you can tell that it's the good quote unquote good studio if they blink naturally. But if it's the other studio, which is more used to doing anime, they don't blink. And now because of that, I'm hyper aware in any animation of how often the characters are blinking. So <laughs> I noticed that years ago, and it was one of those weird little things like, oh, that's a nice little touch of animation. And yeah, I notice it now, and it's like it's unsettling they don't blink. Why don't they blink? The Simpsons blink. Yeah, it really comes down to uh, money. It's actually the same thing where in anime now, I get really annoyed if they exhibit what I'm going to call cardboard exposition scenes, or certainly just the lip flapping as they talk, and it's a very obvious, we are saving money by doing this. Oh, pissing yep. me off. I, I get why they're doing it, but anyway. It's one of those so, things, once you notice, you can't unsee. Yeah. So then uh, season three of Korra is, in my opinion, the single best season of either show. I, I love that season. The entire plot line with Zaheer and the Red Lotus is amazing. The stuff going on with the Beifong family in general is amazing. I, I was so engrossed. The choreography has literally never been better than in the fights with the Red Lotus. It just, it, it hasn't. I'm sorry. So, and then season four? Season four is okay. Yeah. It's it's solid, I think. I think uh I think Kuvira is a decent villain. I like that she's voiced by Zelda Williams. That's just cool. Uh yeah. I think the ending being about a big mech is weird. Uh yeah. I do think I do think it's neat that in both um series, the the race or not the race, the 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 nation that is the most dangerous is the one whose powers lend themselves to better technology. Because in Avatar The Last Airbender, it's the firebenders who can basically do super steam engines with their power. And then in Korra, season four at least, it's the metal benders because they can make crazy stuff with metal bending. Although I do like that every nation has got to be the villain at some point. Like Fire Nation was the villain throughout all of Avatar and also kind of the Earth when bossing say happened but then season one and two of Korra it's all waterbenders are the bad guys season three of Korra is hey what if an air nomad was a serial killer essentially and an anarchist and voiced by Henry Rollins which is (laughs) sorry I love that book change so much the whole story of like Boomy becoming an airbender has so much emotional weight to it because of his relationship with his father I don't sorry I love season three of Korra so much and then anyway Season four, we get the Earth Kingdom as the villains with Kuvira and basically being uh, Hitler. (laughs) Yep. Although I do like that Toph points out that every villain in Korra actually stands for something that's a good thing, but they've just taken it to an extreme that becomes a bad thing. Like that thematic through line through Korra is very good. And the last thing that I want to say about Korra before giving you the floor to say anything you want is that um, I know Korra as a character gets a lot of debate I really like her as a character because of how unlikable she is. She, the, after all that, there's a story about a boy becoming the Avatar, and Legend of Korra is a story about an Avatar learning how to be a person. So, yeah. and I and I really dig that for Korra. No, I'll say this much because it you know came up a lot recently because it landed on Netflix. People were discussing it, and there really is this weird divide. People either love it or hate it. And I'm just like in the middle. It's like it's got its moments. It's never truly as it's not ever firing on all the same cylinders that Avatar was, but a big part of that was they were hamstrung by uh, Paramount and Nickelodeon like the entire way through, like with the last two seasons getting booted to online and their budget cut and not being told if they'd get another season so they couldn't plan storylines. There's so much behind the scenes that really, you know, for the record, it. I wouldn't be surprised if part of that decision because that is a that was a dumbass decision reading back on it, but I wouldn't be surprised if part of that is because of how dark Korra season three, the change went. I mean, literally up to that point, no one ever died on screen. The closest that happened was that Jet might have died. And even they poked fun <laughs> at how vague it was. And yeah. then, and then the villain of season three of Korra straight up asphyxiates a woman to death on screen 
no way around it, no covering it up. That just happened. And that's, I would argue, is part of the benefit of they, when they got moved on. Like, okay, we're online, then we're going to, you know, do more we want to. And honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing them do a second pass at Korra. Like, okay, we know where we want to go, and we're going to do four seasons with a more streamlined and more offended like they can really. Because there's some stuff that's just, like, I don't like a lot of the design of Korra. And I hadn't realized why until I read a great article that basically said that Avatar, the first one, is very heavily inspired by Asian mythology and architecture and design. And Legend of Korra is very inspired by America. And it feels weird. And the minute that was pointed out to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that that is that is 100% true. It doesn't feel fantasy anymore. It just feels very, for lack of a better word, Americanized. Yeah, I... I understand that. I do feel like that was totally intentional. Although, again, season three gets away from that by completely leaving Republic City. So, just saying. Yeah, but the article goes <laughs> on the point they never really leave that. They don't... Like, their big example, and a little brief spoiler, is Varric's proposal is a total American-style proposal, not anything to do with the cultures they're supposedly based off of. And it's like, this feels kind of lazy now. I don't know. I, 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 I wanted to do. I, I oh, would say ahead. from what I've read, um, and again, I don't. Know, I, I'm not a historian, but from what I've read, Republic City actually has a lot more in common with like 1920s Shanghai than yep. necessarily uh, America. So that might be an American perspective or like tinting what's going on in the show. Not that there aren't very Americanized things going on in Korra. But I'm just saying that, like, Republic City isn't really based on American City from what I can tell. It's supposed to be based more the, on Shanghai. So, well, the one that was pointing out to me is, like, all of the big architectural things in Korra are modeled after Western buildings. I could buy that. And like I said, it always kind of, like, the minute it was pointed out to me, I'm like, oh, that's why this kind of felt... I don't know. I do want to do a whole episode on Legend of Korra. Maybe we'll find someone to talk about it. And like, as it was really I, held up, it's like I didn't know if you'd wanted if you'd watched it or wanted to. I would I like love, honestly, I would love for them to do one more series. Like, I, we don't we don't really need a series about a firebending uh, one, but I do like the fan idea of all right, you do one more series, just do a limited series of like straight up modern day of the Avatar following Korra, you know, this is Earthbender essentially, and just see what that looks like. In a completely modern daddy setting. So, again, I don't, yeah, I don't want no. like a whole thing for it, but I would like to see how that looks. Yeah, no, I think that would definitely be... Because Korra was supposed to be like a limited series. was just going to be a one-off that got stretched into a season that got played Actually, two seasons. It's and... a good thing they stretched it out because, it again, it really didn't pick its stride until... Well, they didn't three. know what... The, that's the, I, I Look into the whole background of it. If you really don't like Korra then you got to understand a lot of that came from studio interference. Like they were originally told we're going to do a miniseries. And they said, okay, we're going to do a series. And I said, well, are we going to get a second season? Like, oh, we don't know. So they had to cram everything they wanted to do into the first season. And then they're like, okay, good. You're getting a second season. Like, oh, well, crap. What do we want to do for season two? And then they got told, hey, we're putting you online. We're like, you know what? We're just going to go dark as hell in case they cancel us. Get everything we want out. Yeah, that certainly seems to be the case. I'll say one thing about book two that bothered me from a narrative perspective that um does kind of continue to be a problem although again book three and four proceed to basically ignore it which is wonderful um it made the spirit world too concrete i like how an avatar the spirit world is this very ephemeral thing that no one knows too much about really like guru patik knows about like chakras and stuff but you know like Roku didn't know what the lion turtle was. So, and, and Spirit World is, has like very loose rules. Uh, but then book two has this whole like, all right, now there's portals and you can go there and they're just, here are the beings. And it's less like the spirit world and more like just a parallel dimension at that point, which felt very, uh, do you get what I'm saying? That it felt too concrete oh, yeah. or too solid? No, season two has a big problem with over explaining. Yeah, like, like I didn't want I, the spirit world to explain. But don't get me wrong, the two-parter with Wan, best part of season two. It, it is. I, I, but, I liked parts of it, but I didn't want that much information on the first Avatar, but there's some good stuff in there. 
Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like, don't get me, but I just don't like the spirit world being that solid. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to talk about Korra this long, but I've been, I joined the Order of the White Lotus on, on Facebook. So I'm now <laughs> exposed to Avatar memes on a daily basis. So Avatar has become much more of a consistent part of my life. So <laughs> no, it's the only like group on. No, and I, I think that works as like a great wrapping up point. This is what we've been doing in quarantine. We've yeah, just we've been, been watching all sorts of shit. Yeah, we've been talking for about an hour and like eight minutes or something based on what I'm seeing. I don't know how they'll come out to after editing. So, but yeah, we've been mostly watching stuff, made a few trips, trying to spend time with friends within reason because don't be an idiot and, you know, go to like bars and shit. Don't be wrong. I really wanted to start going to bars when I was ready to start dating again. But I was like, no, not doing it. I don't <laughs> care if they're open. I'm not doing it. I'm going to be a more res- responsible citizen. So this is this is how we spend our time. Uh, tell us how you've been spending your quarantine. I have no concluding thoughts. <laughs> yeah. No, that just kind of brings us to our closing out point, which is we're going to go on a bit of a hiatus. We aren't really sure how long it's going to last or what it's going to look like, but you, we are just going to step back a bit. Yeah, and you, the listener, might not even notice because we actually have a backlog of a lot of recordings and a lot of stuff, and even – like, we're not going to stop recording, necessarily. We're just focusing on other things other than, like, standard episodes, which is it gives us a chance to kind of, like, relax and do these kind of other projects and reorient things. So you may or may not see a lull in our output. We'll be up I – would, I would guess Ulrich's going to be upfront about that in our social media. He controls that stuff. I don't, I don't know it very well. So – but, you know, we're just giving you a heads up. Yeah, Biggest thing is we're still going to have Bootober. Bootober is going to run like normal. Everything else is going to be a bit up in the air. We're going to you know, do some projects that we want to do that we, we couldn't do otherwise. And we're going to tweak the podcast and see you know, what improvements we want to make going into season three of the podcast or year three, however you want to put it. As well as trying to figure out what we're going to do for our 100th episode, which is looming large. Because uh, we can't really do a best and worst of the year this year because that wasn't an option. <laughs> I guess aren't we aren't we technically in the third year of this? I don't I don't know how time. When did we start? We might be. Yeah, no, this is our third year. Yeah, we're we're in the middle of our. Oh, so we're going into our fourth year. Yeah, we're going into our fourth year. I'm pretty sure. Oh, we should be way better at this then. I could be wrong. Like, did we start in 27? Because we started late in the year, right? Like in winter. And did we start winter 2017 or winter 2018? We'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to talk about this. We now. started winter. No, we 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 are in season four. Oh wow. All right, yeah. anyway, before Ulrich has an existential crisis, <laughs> we should move on and do any outro thing we want to do. Yeah, uh, we're just going to thank you all for, you know, sticking with us for what is three years. That That's impressive. And we hope that there won't be a huge diminish, you know, diminishing quality or, you know, content. But if there is, stick with it. You know, maybe go back, listen to some of our old stuff, go, wow, these guys have learned a lot. Like, go back and watch episode zero. That That's a trip. Or don't, because I, I don't. <laughs> I tried that a while back, and I was like, oh, wow, I feel like I definitely learned. So, anyway, I don't know if we were planning to do this, but whatever platform you're listening to us on, you know, thank you for doing that. I The list right now in front of me says SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You'd think I'd have it memorized by now, but I don't. And if you would rather us be on some, or not rather, if you would like for us to additionally be on some other platform that make things easy for you, tell us what it is so we can look into it. I mean, no one's told us a new one in like six months or something like that. So, but if you have one, we're still listening. I think we got them all at this point. But then that's when someone's going to say, well, what about, you know, Herb Derbcast? And I'm going to have to go figure out how to get us on Herb Derbcast. Yeah, well, anyway. <laughs> As always, I've been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. We will see you next time, and until then, stay honorable.